We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. All right, continuing our exploration of the Quran, we have to look at the second half of the ayah from uh, from last time. So we are on ayah four of uh, Ali Imran. So once again, let's get a sneak peek of the ayah by... Do I hear someone nod? Let me know you can see the Quran on the screen. Very good. So... So we have uh, Okay, so we spoke yesterday about the idea of, of Furqan and Kitab and Hikmah. Now the second half of the ayah, as for those who have rejected the ayatillah, as for those who have rejected the ayahs of Allah, for them is, is severe punishment or severe you know, punishment. And Allah is great and he is the one who possesses the power of exacting punishment. Okay, so first, um, oh wait, there's a whole bunch of people in the lobby. So let me, apologies for everyone. I thought I had uh, let everyone in, but I did not. Okay, so, so we're looking at uh, the second half of IO4 and opening up the great board. So once again, nod, let me know you can, you can see the whiteboard or just lie to me and pretend like you can. Okay, good. Okay, so we have your internal condition and then we have your external identity. Hey, not bad for a straight line. Not good. Not good either. Not good. Horribly bad. Okay, well, should have just gave up my pride. Okay. So when we have in someone's external condition, we have belief, meaning in their identity, they're claiming to be believers. And internally, in their heart, they actually have belief. We call that person a Okay. If they claim belief, if they have the identity of belief, but they do not have belief, we call that person a monotheist. So a mu'min is a true believer. Monotheist would be a hypocrite. Okay. And then no belief is claimed on the outside. And by no belief, meaning they're not claiming to be Muslim and no belief on the inside. That is the third scenario. And then the fourth scenario is belief on the, outs uh, on the inside, no belief. Okay, what do we call this third person? Okay, so it's actually a trick question. Uh, this person 
maybe for lack of a better term, jahil, meaning unaware, or maybe a kafir. Uh, and we'll come back to this point in a moment. Uh, how do we identify this fourth person? Any guesses? Opposer. Okay, opposer. Who's who just said that? I heard a voice. Who's voice is that? That was me. Uh-huh. Okay, nice. Okay, so this would this would be the opposite of opposer, wouldn't it be? Because this is a person who's not claiming belief. Wouldn't it be? actually has belief? Isn't that someone who's like like a prisoner or something almost? Yeah, in some capacity they're being persecuted. Well, you know, from the perspective of you know, because oh, in, in like some societies, if you have no belief, you might benefit. Yeah. But you have, you know, internal you know, belief. But, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how that's different from the, muna uh, uh, the Munafic because they're mm -hmm. they're also trying to gain some benefit. So, so that would be if we're getting into, you know, possible interpret uh, intentions. Why? Yeah. Uh, but in a general sense. This would be uh, uh, a person who officially, as far as we know, is an unbeliever, but uh, behind the scenes is a believer. So you're going to find people in academia who are like this, who, who uh, in meetings, they'll start getting to inshallah, alhamdulillah, and you know they have white names like John. I don't mean Jonathan Brown. I'm talking about uh, other people. And so, so they keep their Islam hidden. In fact, there was a, a professor from Europe who came to Chicago to do some research. And she literally told me she felt she can do more work for Islam by hiding the fact that um, she's Muslim. And so uh, Allah will do as, as uh, he will uh, with, with them. If we change this slightly, not Remember, why would it be important to declare your Islam? Uh, at the time of the Battle of the Trench, a person who hid this, who hid his Islam, uh, except the Rasul Sallallahu was the was very instrumental in getting the siege broken. Yeah, sure, no Iman, uh, and so uh, it's if it's possible to live in a vacuum, that would be fine. But suppose this person is getting married, you know. And suppose this person is raising children. And suppose this person has other interactions. Uh, at some point, the issue will probably come up. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, at that point, uh, the, the, uh, those are the issues when it is a question of uh, perpetuation, correct? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, when you want to pass it on to somebody. And at that point, uh, to pass on to somebody that somebody has to acknowledge that it was being possessed by the person who's passing it on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's now getting, I think, almost into a technicality. I mean, if we're talking about a husband-wife relationship, you know, the spouse could theoretically withhold the fact that they've been Muslim their whole life. You know, it should be a very, very strange situation. But in any case, I mean, to answer your fundamental question, is that an obligation for someone to share the fact that they're Muslim? I'm not aware of any obligation. I'm just saying from a practical, uh, um, a practical perspective, I don't know if they'd be able to uh, sustain that. 
So here, a monophic is more accurately someone who in their heart is actually rejecting faith. And a, 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 uh, a person who has not yet had faith enter into their heart, however, would still be a Muslim. And then this person down here would be a Kafir. Yeah, awesome. Um, on the, the top uh, graphic in the second section, can you explain the point about faith not entering the heart versus, like, what's the difference between faith not entering the heart and no belief? Okay, so, so no belief is essentially, so the question is, why is there no belief? And so, so if it's rejection of belief, okay, now we have a specific scenario. Yeah, that would be the hypocrite. Uh, and so a person in their, in their developing relationship with the law, they may still be obeying everything that Allah is telling them to do. But uh, the actual faith has not entered into their heart. So this is a passage in Surah uh, Al-Hujrat, Surah 49. And so these Bedouin Arabs come to the Prophet, peace be upon him, saying, we believe, and they're instructed to say, no, you submit. In everything you do out of obedience to Allah, none of that will be withheld from you. But faith has not yet entered into your heart, and faith has entered into your heart in which you have no doubt whatsoever about Allah and his messenger. Make sense, or what do you think? Yeah, I think it makes sense. I, I... I think when you frame it as rejection is the um, monophic, then then it makes a lot more sense because I think rejection is an active process. Yeah, that's exactly what we're saying here. Okay, so what is the point to take from this is that kafir is not synonymous with non-Muslim. Or let me put it the other way around. A non-Muslim is not automatically a kafir. when we are looking through the lens of the Quran. And so when we are looking through the lens of Islamic law, for example, Islamic law is focused on actions, not on the condition of your heart. So Islamic law is focused on externals. Then you're either a Muslim or you're not Muslim, yeah. which means then you're either a Muslim or a Kafir. When we are looking through the lens of the Quran, you are looking at the whole of the person, which includes how do they identify themselves, which includes the condition of their heart. And so in the lens of the Quran, when does someone become a kafir? When they are rejecting. Uh, uh, Dr. Mahan, is this what you're talking about in terms of need to distinguish between legal? Yeah, and yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. We had a much Ahant. Uh, um, so if the definition of a like Muslim is sort of defined by external actions, mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of to like what extent, you know, like, for example, if you pray three times a day, are you not Muslim versus if you pray five times a day, being that like a fard or sort of to what external actions, you know, does that 
mean? Okay. You know, because the Shahada is internal. Uh, okay. If you think of it, right? So, a uh, perfect question. Uh, in fact, let's uh, continue with the, the discussion about Kafir, and then we'll go, and that would be a perfect segue then into the discussion after that about what does it then mean to be a Muslim. So, through or um, through law, non Muslim equals Kafir. And a Muslim equals whoops, I'm sorry. A typo. So this is the overall point, but then here through the lens of law, Muslim equals woman. So we said in the first chart, when you're including a person's heart, right here, a mu'min is a true believer. They're a believer on the inside, believer on the outside. In the lens of Islamic law, you're only focused on externals, you're only focused on actions, which means you have no concept of the condition, the spiritual condition of someone's heart. So you, you would use the word Muslim and mu'min interchangeably. Which then also means that technically there's potentially potentially no such thing as a hypocrite either in terms of islamic law but we can also address that in a moment okay. through quran as well as hadith or sunnah okay. muslim equals Kafir uh, or Jahil, Ghayr Muslim, might be any of these, but it is not automatically Kafir. And, and then a Muslim, a person who's identifying as a Muslim, might be a Muslim, might be a Mu'min, if we get into the hadith of Jibreel, might be Mohsin, might also be the complete opposite, a Munafiq. Or, 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 or. Okay, uh, Ahant. Um, I didn't raise my hand. Oh, sorry, that must be from before. Okay, uh, Asim. Um, in the... Uh, top row when you're talking about through the lens of law you said there there is no like monophic doesn't exist but if you're only through law if you're only looking at actions then uh, w based on the previous whiteboard wouldn't a monophic be a muslim by that definition yeah just like we have here Oh, okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. So uh, we could say this. Yeah. Uh, right. So the basic point being that Muslim or Mu'min, that's the part I'm emphasizing, those terms become interchangeable from the perspective of law. Right. So but the person could be a hypocrite. Could also actually be a hypocrite in terms of the condition of their heart. But the term monophib would not be used in, in law. It's but you would see the word mu'min being used. Okay, so is this an argument for, well, I guess this is, if 
fundamentally an argument for placing law at a lower um, sort of state than Quran and Sunnah, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, lower or higher, uh, the, the key point being that the Quran is, is holistic in its depiction and understanding of a person. The law is selective. The law is only focused on action. Okay. Okay, so this then gets into, if, let me know if anyone has any questions about this. The key point is I'm suggesting that unless you're clearly speaking in the context of law, be very cautious about calling someone a kafir. Okay. And I could add the realm of theology here as well. Uh, and I'm risking comp uh, making things more complex. Yeah, might as well, let's have some fun. Okay, so, so I'm gonna write this above the law uh, line just more for a sake of space. This. So through theology, this gets much more complicated. So a Muslim is someone who believes Uh, or claims belief so either believes or claims belief in shahada and its consequences A kafir, and I'll explain all these points, a kafir rejects any element of the shahada or its consequences. Okay, so what are we saying here? That if I believe and this is this is also venturing into to your uh, question, Ahant. Uh, if I believe, if or if I claim to believe, and so those are two different things. If I believe or if I claim to believe, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, then by definition I'm a Muslim. Yeah. But then uh, there are constructions of consequences of belief. That if I believe the Shahada, then I have to believe those those other uh, uh, articles of faith. I have to believe in the angels, the books, the messengers, divine decree, the day of judgments, right? Now, suppose I reject one of those. Suppose I say angels don't exist. Or suppose I even say, you don't have to believe in angels. Then through the lens of theology, I become a kafir. And then, then we have those big aqidah books where the books themselves might actually literally be about a page long, but then the commentary in the nice print will make it about 80 pages long. And suppose there's one article in there that I reject, then by, by definition in those aqidah books, I would be a copter.
So, for example, if you go through the Aqidah of Imam Tahawi, and then he'll have a whole section on okay uh, on the the night journey, and the night journey is believed to be a physical event that the Prophet went through, peace be upon him. If I don't have a stance on it, I'm fine. If I reject it, say no, it was a dream or something else, then potentially through the lens of that book, I'm a coffer. And this is part of the reason why I caution against starting from these theology books, because that becomes a consequence. Okay. So then what is a Muslim? Uh, awesome, go ahead. You said no stance is fine. No stance is, is, is equal to not rejection, correct? Okay. So it would be assumed, meaning if I'm believing the Shahada, the assumption is I'm believing everything else correctly, properly too. Right. But, and, and some of the things that are consequences of the Shahada have very little impact on your life, right? Give me an example. It, Ultimately, whether an individual believes in angels or not, or, or well, that, let me let me rephrase that. Uh, whether an individual believes in angels or believes that angels are not really relevant to their life, uh, I think aren't both of those positions correct? If someone is making a claim that angels aren't relative relative to your life. Then it's, then it's potentially a problem through the lens of theology because now it's become a claim, which could be interpreted as rejection. See what I'm saying? Right, but what I'm asking, okay, so I guess a better way- If, you, to... say, if you say, I don't have an appreciation for the relevance of angels in my life, then it's not a claim. Then it's a question. Okay. I think I get it. it. It applies more to jinns than angels in my mind. Like jinns don't mean much. Jinns are not an article of, of, of belief. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah. But like, I don't know. I feel like people really focus on jinns and it's just like not. Yeah. I mean, we all know that jinns caused, uh, jinns caused COVID and jinns uh, are controlling the, the Mars rover and all that stuff. I'm kidding for everyone who does not know that I'm kidding. Okay. Claims to believe. <laughs> So Ahans, what does it mean? Uh, what does it necessitate for someone to become a Muslim? It's to claim through the lens of law, which is only focused on the externals. It's to claim to believe in the Shahada, which could mean that I am being completely fake. I'm just becoming a Muslim because it's going to benefit me, you know, in you know, in this particular society or in terms of getting married to this person or what have you. But by definition, through the lens of law, I am a Muslim, even if none of it is in my heart. Um, so to just kind of go off of that, um, yes, um, Mohsen's, you know, question in the chat, you know, oh, uh, I, feel like, I feel like that was my next question was, you know, for example, you you take shahada and you claim like uh, say belief, but, but you do none of the actions required in the mm -hmm. faith. Um, 
you were I mean, still a Muslim. Yeah, no, uh, of course. The um, law. Yeah. Then, like, then the next step would be: Would you say there's consequences to not doing any of the external actions? Um, uh, in dunya or in akhirah? The, the akhirah. I mean, like in the dunya, it may or, or may not have you know consequences, but right. in the akhirah. Akhirah definitely. Assuming I know the things that I'm supposed to be doing, right? And and so in dunya, it could have consequences if I'm, let's say, in a theoretical utopian Islamic polity, right? And so I'm not making my prayers or this or that. Then there might be some elements of the law that are obliged upon me. But speaking in terms of the law itself, uh, in getting to, to Mohsen's question, and, and, and in fact, Mohsen, you're raising your hand. Um, uh, let me, uh, uh, how about if you first speak and then I'll get to your question unless they're both the same. Yeah, so isn't there maybe a distinction between, let's say, Salafi thought and uh, maybe Hanafi and uh, other thought where Salafis actually do regard uh, actions as uh, needed uh, to remain uh, a Muslim, yeah. at the, theologically speaking? Um, and that's why we see uh, sometimes, at least in their extreme form, uh, forms, uh, Salafis may call someone a kafir. Mm. Uh, and we see that in Pakistan quite a bit. Okay, so, so um, let's erase the label of Salafi for a second, because I think that uh, in the same way Sufi includes a whole bunch of different people, Salafi has reached that point too. And, right. and so, for example, in the case of ISIS, for example, uh, yeah, when ISIS takes over a land, if you want to live there, you literally have to fill out a repentance card, you know, saying that you repented for your poor ways of life, even though you've been raised Muslim your whole life living in this village in Syria, right? I, mean, I don't know what the case is with ISIS now, but that's what the case was about a few years ago. Um, but the general opinion is that uh, no physical actions can knock you out of from Islam into, into Kufr. You know? So you could do the worst possible crimes like murder, you're still technically a Muslim. Right. Not a good Muslim, but you're still a Muslim from the perspective of law uh, except and there's some claims you can make that will knock you out of islam okay. so because the shahada is a verbal claim and so likewise it's verbal claims that can knock you out and the obvious would be anything that contradicts the shahada but even uh, and this is in textbook islamic law especially the hanafi law that if i say something like you don't have to pray Okay. Meaning it is not further to pray that can protect me, potentially knock me out of Islam. Because here I'm effectively saying that the prophet is wrong, peace be upon him, which then knocks me out of Islam. So for, for most of us in the class, you know, understand that these are secondary details. What I'm the key point I want all of us to understand is that in the Quranic lens, you're looking at the whole person. But when we're looking at these specific fields, then things start to get kind of technical. And so, so uh, Mohsen Ansari, uh, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yes, it does. Yeah. Okay, good, very good. So, so, yeah, so one can believe in the Shahada, the only actions that can possibly take them out of Islam in terms of just majority opinion would be statements that then contradict the Shahada. 
Okay. And so then what is it in the lens of the Quran and the Sunnah? So H is, is Hadith. Um, did you believe or claim to believe? Now, the reason I'm putting belief first is because this could be the person who is hiding the fact that they're Muslim related to Dr. Kazi's question, but Allah knows that they're Muslim. Nobody else might. Okay. Okay. Any questions about this? So again, what is the, the fundamental overall point to take is, oh yeah, I erased it, is that uh, be very cautious about the using the term kafir for a non-Muslim. Okay, anybody have any questions about that? Because then we have to go to point two about kafirs. Yeah, yeah, Malahat. Yeah, so my question is that, you know, that hiding the hiding the iman or to be a Muslim, yeah. it could be a temporary act, not the permanent act, because it will cause more confusion in the long run, in a inheritance, in a family structure, in the social you know, structure and so forth. So, I mean, again, when we're putting it into a real world situation, uh, yeah, I would agree with you um, that uh, if a person's in a vacuum, uh, then they could potentially hide their Islam their whole life. But as you're interacting with people, the issue might come up, especially inheritance might be an example. But suppose, you know, someone becomes a Muslim in the middle of a genocide and, uh, or someone is Muslim and a genocide is going on and they're keeping their Islam completely hidden. Uh, they're going to keep it hidden as long as they can sustain it. Yeah, we have, we have an example of Hazrat Abbas, right? So, so that's, uh, that's Amar, totally Amar. Amar. What's the Amar, example yeah. with the boss? Um, the uncle of Mom, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The part where he's, he's keeping his Islam hidden. Yeah, I'm forgetting about that. Yeah. But yeah if he did too, then yeah. Uh, Ahant. Um, so do you have to believe in the Prophet uh, peace be upon him, uh, does the last messenger uh, to be considered a believer in the Quranic? Uh... Um, uh, uh, the last part got cut off. Uh, can, can I may I ask you to repeat the question? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so do you, so like in terms of being like defined, like as the believer from the Quranic, uh, like sense, uh, do you have to believe in our mm. our prophet, peace be upon him, to be the last messenger? Or like, mm. is it like enough to have just the concept of, of Tawheed? That's a, that's a nice question. Uh, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, meaning, uh, uh, because think of, you know, you know, anyone who's on the journey uh, of, and this is sort of related to what we're about to write on the screen, think about someone who's on the journey that may lead them to Islam. Uh, a person is often a Muslim long before they've actually taken their, they're officially taking their Shahada because they already believe it in their heart. Um, but a person might have a belief in God and has not come across the prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, and so will Allah consider them to be a mu'min? Hopefully, 
but yeah, that question, I don't have a, uh, an answer to that question. And the reason I'm saying hopefully is that we like to err towards Allah's Rahmah for, for anyone and everyone. But yeah, that's a good question that I don't have an answer to. Okay, the next point, which is also, you might find to be an interesting point. We should have caution against condescension against non-Muslims and potentially even Kafirs. Why? So uh, I'm not speaking the lens of, you know, we should all, you know, interfaith and hold each other's hands and be happy and all that stuff. Saying, why should we be cautious against this kind of center? Um, I think one reason would be that we don't know what our state may be at okay. some point and we should. Uh, uh, be grateful that we uh, were guided to that or had that ni'mah. Yeah. So part of it is is that we don't in our own state, and you're also giving a hint about about them as well. Uh, awesome. Yeah, we don't know what their state is, and we don't want to cause them to turn away from Islam if they're. Well, I'm not even talking about uh, 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 what's the word um, saying condescending things. Yeah. Right, so you know, we should be cautious, we should definitely be cautious against saying condescending things. But I'm even talking about having a condescending disposition against a, a, a non-Muslim. Oh, like within our own conversations, within our own hearts. Uh, Ahant. Um. So, so I guess, like, what is the conclusion, like, of this uh, discussion? Like, what sort of? I mean, like, should we? I mean, I guess I know that the answer to this, but should we be, you know, constantly like assessing uh, see, uh, uh, see whether or not our belief is pure? Uh, is that the point of all this? Of this specific screen or the overall discussion? Overall discussion, yeah. I mean, the overall class is we should be keep assessing our whether our belief is pure or not. In this context, we don't know what the future holds uh, 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 about this person. So imagine you are in Mecca, okay? And you're in Mecca in the uh, early years of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in his work. And you have this young kid, Omar, who is saying, you know, who is not at all pleased with what you're doing. And so what is the approach the Prophet took? He prayed for him to become Muslim. And so the question becomes, at what point does someone become a beloved of Allah? It could be that Omar was already a beloved of Allah before Islam actually entered his heart. See what I'm saying? That this person who might be a, a devout non-Muslim may at some point become one of the most important Muslims. Now, this is not the same 
as critiquing someone's actions. And this is not the same as speaking about a, about a population of people and such. Talk about individual human hearts. Malahat. So what about the, the Muslims have animosities against the whole Muslims to each other? Where this category going to fit? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously doesn't fit here. Yeah. yeah, I know. But I mean, that's, that's a serious issue. Even in the books of Deoban, they are calling each other Kafir. There's the books of Brailvis and then the other sects. And then history goes on and on. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a separate discussion than what we're having here. But that's illustrated... Uh, right here in the, the the line about theology, right? And so uh, that the common issue when you're looking through the lens of theology is that if you find a particular point that someone doesn't believe in according to your assessment of the consequences of theology, then the consequences, you're going to call them a, a kafir. And that's why I'm saying it's better not to start with a text of theology, except ultra, ultra basic stuff. You see the point that I'm making? It's, it's, I'm explaining why uh, we see what you're, what you're expressing. I mean, I, I don't know how many of those books are canonical. You know, even if it's by a Deobandi author or a Brailleby author, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's endorsed by the rest of the Deobandis or the Brailleby's. But it is definitely uh, a thing in our society. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think, I just want to point this out that, you know, this, is, this sickness is in, exists in our societies yeah, well, within I mean, Islam. I mean, this is, this is part of the reason we're having this whole specific discussion today. I'm just starting right. even from the point of being very cautious against calling a kafir a kafir. Right. Hazel. So for when it comes to praying for our non-Muslim deceased relatives, mm. would we go through it as using the Quran and Sunnah lens, even so, though our society and, and everyone all kinds of beats us with the theology? Yeah. So, so, so this becomes a fundamental issue with our non-Muslim relatives but especially our non-Muslim relatives who have passed away, right? And then by extension, any other, any other non-Muslims who, who have passed away. And those who argue you should not pray for a non-Muslim, usually the core of their argument is we have to be clear about belief and non-belief. Okay? And so the way to almost get around that is that if you're play, praying for a non-Muslim, meaning a person, as far as you know, when they died, they've died, you know, not as Muslim. Okay. You should pray at least as much for Muslims. That would be the way to, to address their concerns. Okay. The other school would say, well, it's up to Allah Ta'ala to answer your prayer or not. So I say, go for it. I mean, we have the example of, of Abdullah ibn Ubayi, um, you know, who when he dies, the prophet knows that he is a, a hypocrite and, you know, he's told, okay, in Surah Tawbah, you can pray 70 times and it's not going to be accepted. The prophet prays 71 times and, then, and I believe it's Jibreel himself comes to him and says, yeah, no, you can't do that, you know, after the fact. 
but you and I are not in a position to identify who's a hypocrite, who is a who's a coffer and such. So uh, I believe you have, you know, you are definitely not committing a sin when you're making a request to Allah Ta'ala in any capacity. I mean, that's what, uh, as, a, as a question for all of you, see if you can think of a, of, a, of a dua that you could possibly make that would actually be a sin. I mean, the closest thing would be a dua to do commit a sin, you know, but, um, uh, and so I'm of the school that a dua is never a sin, but Allah has full authority, like when we spoke about the struggle, the discussion about struggle, to do as he wills, and so he has a full authority not to answer. What do you think? Makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense, alhamdulillah. Thank you. Awesome. Is a dua to harm someone not a sin? Um, it's, uh, I would say it is not a sin. It's not a good dua. Sure. You know, <laughs> you know. I mean, and isn't that fundamentally different than actually harming somebody? You know. Is it? If you really believe it's going to come true, yeah, but you're uh, you're still uh, completely leaving it up to Allah Taala. So, okay, two scenarios. We have we have a person. We'll call him Basim Chaudhary, and let's say he's a person of super high iman, and he just hates his teacher, right? And he has to decide. Okay, do I either make dua for this person to get run over by a car, or do I personally run over this person by a car? Which one should Basim choose? If those were literally his only two possible options. If you yeah. have to think about it that much. No, no I mean, I understand what, what you're saying, but like, I, but when you're choosing between two bad options, they're still both bad options, right? Okay, no, but one I'm saying is not a sin, and one is definitely far worse. Sure, yeah. but, but what I'm saying is, what does one being far worse have to do with the other one being a sin or not? Yes. Uh, well, okay, but we are acknowledging that one is far worse. Yeah. Yes, that, certainly. Yeah. That no would be Boston running over yeah. his teacher. Yeah. Yes. And I'm suggesting that uh, even a request for harm is is not a sin. In my understanding, Allah knows best. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, and Abdullah, yeah, I agree in terms of of, of the dua. Uh, Jewel, I'm not understanding the question about what if about if it's parent versus teacher. You can either speak or explain. And then, but also making the laws like that are dangerous because the angels say amin, the same for you. Uh, I don't know that the angels will be saying amin uh, for when you pray for someone else to be harmed. Uh, but the other part is, is important. If you're praying for Allah to curse someone, then... Uh, then angels are sent to evaluate if they are worthy of being cursed. If they are not, then the curse is then put on you. So does that apply for prayers for harm? Maybe it does for those two. You know, that's, uh, you know, almost like a, a detail that I've never uh, uh, explored. Oh, a dua to harm a parent. Uh, that uh, I would still put in the same category. I mean, if someone is praying for their parent to be harmed, they probably need some help, but uh, I, again, I would still regard a dua as on its own, not to be a sin. I mean, that's the school that I follow, or I should say the school of thinking, the type of thinking that I follow. And like I said, there are other people who are of the opinion that there are, there are many duas you're not allowed to make. 
uh, Ahans? Um, you know, if we're sort of like, you know, like looking at the overall, you know, picture, a lot of people like nowadays have not been, you know, presented Islam like through the correct lens. Totally. And, and if we take that like into account, as well as the overarching, uh, see, mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like, wouldn't you say a lot of these, you know, people will be forgiven? I mean, you know, like I would say a lot of people who are non Muslim have some concept of the oneness of God, mm. but they just aren't presented Islam in the correct way mm -hmm. uh, to get to the point where they believe the Rasul is the last messenger. Okay, okay um, very good. You know? So, so in terms of the general question, can a non-Muslim go to paradise? Um, there's a couple, uh, uh, what seem to be a couple, like all the opinions seem to like fall into a couple categories. One is what we would call, for our purposes, the fitra argument. And the fitra argument is that in their core, everyone does know the truth. Yeah. And the core of the truth would be the, the oneness of God. Not necessarily, possibly not necessarily the truth of the prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, I would be skeptical that it would include the truth of the prophet, peace be upon him, but at least at least includes the oneness of God. Okay. And then it's, you know, for our purposes, we're going to call it the counter. And the counter argument is that Fitzra can be buried. Which means that a person legitimately might not know. Yes, perfectly. Might not know the truth. Okay. And and so the vast majority of opinions seem to fall into either the first category or the second category. Yeah. And the issue and so but where would they both agree? is Allah treats everyone fairly. Okay. So, so that's the first part of the theology here, that uh, either a person innately knows the truth, and if they do, then they will be held to account on the day of judgment. Because that's literally what is taken from the ayahs. This is in Surah Al-Araf, Surah 7, uh, around Ayah 172. You know, this is the whole of the famous Allah Stubi Rabbikum, because the, like, the next ayah says, so you don't say in the Day of Judgment, we didn't know. And then the other school says, no, your fitrah can be so buried or corrupted that you actually don't know anymore. And so if that's how you're raised, you may lose your fitrah. But everyone agrees that Allah is going to treat everybody fairly on the Day of Judgment. And then we would hope 
that nobody goes to hell. Because someone going to paradise doesn't take anything away from me going to paradise. So think of this as first part one of the question of, of salvation. When we put it into practice, then it's a little bit different. So either I'm saying about this person, no, they are not going to paradise, or I'm saying yes, or I'm saying maybe. Right, so if I am claiming that a non-Muslim cannot go to paradise, if that's my claim, then what should be my resulting action? Anyone? Calling people to Islam? I should be calling them. If I am not calling them, I'm fundamentally saying I don't care. And so some of you have heard the, the, the van uh, uh, analogy from me that suppose you are walking down the street, downtown, downtown Chicago, busy area, and you're noticing that a van is out of control. And then you realize that within a couple seconds, that van is gonna plow through the people in front of you. Instinctively, what would you do? Instinctively, perhaps without even thinking, you might shout, you might try to uh, pull the people out of the way uh, for, uh, for you know, uh, even at your own risk of your own life, you might freeze because you're too frightened. Okay. But if you didn't care, if you saw that van's about to run over these people in front of you, and you're like, yeah, I'm busy listening to my, my, my iPod, and uh, I'm waiting for this Wu-Tang song to finish. Okay. Then there's a, a fundamental problem in your own, your own humanity. And so likewise, if I do not care about the damnation of people that I'm saying are going to be damned, that there is something, uh, there's something problematic in me. And then all the other two cases, I would still be calling, I would still have to be calling people. But in the first case, it would be as the prophet peace upon him, who in some cases almost seemed to beg people to embrace the message. Uh, uh, Mosul Ansari's belief in the afterlife part of the fitzra, good question, uh, that I don't know. Uh, the general view is that the consciousness of Allah is part of the fitzra and that the, um, uh, the sense of right and wrong is part of the fitzra. Uh, Asim and then Ahad. Um, on the previous whiteboard, you said uh, Allah treats everyone with, with complete fairness on the day of judgment. Yes, inshallah. Um, does complete fairness uh, then mean that if he shows a specific mercy to one person, he should show that specific mercy to all mm. people? Nice question. Uh, no, it does not mean that. Uh, uh, meaning he uh, is going to give everyone justice and fairness according to their life. But it is not unfair for him to give, you know, extra credit to these people, but not to those people. Uh, why? Meaning this, this would be sort of like the, the definition of the fairness here, meaning you will not get less than what you earn. Okay, so fairness is in relation to your life, not in relation to what's going on around you. Yeah, not in relationship to the whole of humanity. Because, for example, I mean, 
is uh, uh, does the Allah love the Prophet more than he loves me even before I'm born and have any chance to earn it? Yeah. Right. So it would be according to you yourself. Okay. But keep in mind, again, that if he is giving extra credit to someone else, it does not diminish his wealth to give to you. No, it's not necessarily that. The, I think yeah, right, right. the core of my question was the definition of fairness. Yeah, fairness would be according to according to yourself, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then Dr. Malahat. Um, so where do certain, like, you know, like uh, the sects of Islam who, who believe that there was, you know, prophets like after the Rasul, like fall into this? So that would come down to whom you are asking. So, for example, if we are asking a textbook Sunni, a textbook Shia, you know, what is the plight of a textbook member of the Nation of Islam? They would say that uh, on the category of theology, there would be kafirs. How about the like uh, the like Ahmadi Muslim community? So the Ahmadis. There it gets uh, um, um, a little bit more technical because we have the, the people that the Sunnis will call the Qadianis and differentiate between the Lahore Ahmadis. And, and so textbook Sunnis will often speak of, of those whom are called Qadianis as textbook kafirs. And this is a fundamental issue in terms of, of politics in Islam, uh, uh, politics in Pakistan. But, uh, but that's literally illustrating it, you know, the, the point that through the lens of theology, okay, then uh, we're determining that these people are not in Islam, even though they claim to be Islam. And the reverse is not necessarily true for the nation of Islam. Members of the nation of Islam, textbook members of the nation of Islam will still often look at you know, Sunnis as full Muslims. Uh, but that is not the case of Qadianis, so-called Qadianis, who self-identify as Ahmadis. Sense? Yeah. Malahat. Yeah, the Muslim question remind me, uh, I, I, don't, I forget the name of the surah, but that, you know, the afterlife or second life is, is similar to like your voice, like if you can hear your voice, is that confirmed or imminent? Uh, and that's the only place actually have some, one of our body part uh, compare as an example. So I forgot the name of the surah, but uh, that is in there. I don't know about fitra, but I think the, in the book um, that has been mentioned. Yeah, what you're saying is and, so profound. I have no idea what you're saying right now. No, I said there's an ayah in the Quran which mentioned that the, the barzakh and the second life is similar, is, is, is going to happen same as your own voice. And the Quran is coming in a seventh century with this, with this ayah. Uh, so I think now we know that you know, our voice, own voice can be recorded and, and can be broadcast. But on that time, that was not the case. So in the book is... Uh, it mentioned about it. It's mentioned about Barzakh and it's mentioned about uh, afterlife. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, I have Rosa brain right now, but yeah, I'm still not understanding. We'll have to have the discussion offline, inshallah. Okay. 
Any other final questions? I apologize that class has been going way over time every single time. Uh, but it seems like the discussions have been very rich. Uh, Tosif. Sorry to continue. <laughs> but um, I had a question going back to the Dua issue. What do you, um, what's your opinion on like uh, people who curse Sahaba? Um, is that a sin in that way in your opinion? Mm. Or how do you categorize that or view that? Or that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, so a curse of against a Sahaba could potentially put them in, in this category, right? Uh, and I mean, that's uh, repulsive enough to think about it, but uh, 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 it's like almost like my brain doesn't even want to register the, 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 the question. Uh, let me reflect on this one. Yeah, see if I can come up with anything on that one, inshallah. Any other questions? Okay. I mean, so, I mean, I'll give you a different example. So, uh, uh, that, you know, there are some who, who say very, very nasty things about, uh, Abu Bakr and Ahmad in particular, uh, would that technically knock them out of Islam? No, but a prayer against them. Yeah. Like, uh, for me to be consistent, it would be saying that, okay, no, that would not be a sin. But it would be a step below someone making a prayer against the Prophet, peace be upon him. That seems like that would knock them out of Islam. Deep question. Uh, I don't even know if I'll, how long it'll be before I even come up with a, a rudiment of an answer, but let me reflect on it, inshallah. All righty. Any last questions? Okay, we will stop right here, inshallah, and then we will continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk Before we depart, uh, I did receive a request uh, for, for people who are trying to watch, go through the recordings who actually want the video recordings. If anyone objects to that, and primarily I'm speaking of those of you who show your face on the cameras, uh, please let me know. And otherwise, may Allah tell us you all. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.